welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest today is Dr. James Taylor, an anesthesiologist who is studying the properties of cannabinoids as a way for patients to help moderate and control their pain. Welcome. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for being on the show. I'd like to introduce Jim Taylor. He's a friend of mine, and we met at a conference about two or three years ago. Now Jim is at Southern Pain Society. Yep. And Jim was um, talking about cannabinoids, and we instantly bonded because he sort of has the same mindset of I do, where I just want to figure out what's going on and learn new things. And so he was the one guy who actually sat me down for breakfast the next morning and asked me what I did, and I asked him what he did. And he's an anesthesiologist. He runs seven pain clinics that sees over about 4,000 patients a month. He's located in the Pinehurst area of North Carolina, a little bit east of Raleigh, right, Jim? South? South, south. And uh, so about a year and a half ago, I went down there and talked to his team, and we implemented the DOC project in a group setting. And they've been doing group therapies now for over a year and a half, which is maybe a topic we'll touch today. And it's been really interesting watching him with his cannabinoids, his approach to pain, and some of the successes he's had. But I'm talking this first podcast mostly about just cannabinoids in general. There's a lot of superstition in the medical profession around cannabinoids from, from a historical standpoint. Also, our experience with opioids wasn't so great. There's a huge contrast. So Jim, just give us a couple of minutes about how you got into this whole process of cannabinoids. Sure. Well, I'm a board certified anesthesiologist and I got involved in pain management about eight years ago. Uh, in our pain clinics, we try to include other modalities, chiropractic care, yoga, tai chi, um, physical therapy, as well as procedures and pain medications. But we're always looking at how to reduce folks' dependency on pain medication. Uh, we were in the middle of an opioid crisis and uh, our clinics kind of serve as that safety net in these communities. 70% of our patients are Medicaid and Medicare uh, and really were their pl place of last resort. They've been through the system, they're broken, they have pain, they are psychologically and physically uh, dependent on pain medication and they end up in our clinic and we're trying to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. So we've learned a lot over the last eight years on what things work, what don't work, uh, and then about two and a half years ago, um, CBD came along. Uh, we didn't go out looking for it. It was our patients coming to us uh, saying, hey, this stuff is on the market. Uh, I want to take it. What do you think about it? And it was from them asking us questions uh, that we started to do research and understand uh, what this stuff was. Uh, you know, we're a non-medical marijuana state. North Carolina will probably be the last state to get medical cannabis. Uh, so uh, as healthcare professionals here, we don't know anything about it. Uh, and we don't think in terms of cannabinoid medicine uh, as even something that's an option to us. So to get CBD, which is uh, these cannabinoids uh, without the THC component, uh, and, and now try to use that in our practice of medicine, that's what's kind of uh, led us to all these new discoveries. Uh, and so it's been very, a very fun adventure and uh, continues to be one. Could you explain to us, um, I think there's a lot of cannabinoids and there's T CBD versus THC. Could you explain just the basic array of types of cannabinoids and what CBD is compared to THC? 
Oh, sure. Uh, you know, so the cannabis plant is there, has been around forever, and there are all these cannabinoids. THC is a cannabinoid. CBD is a cannabinoid. Uh, CBC, CBT, CBA, CBG, CBN. Uh, it's an alphabet soup of different cannabinoids, and there are over 100 cannabinoids in the cannabis plant. Uh, we typically say CBD uh, when we're talking about the non-psychoactive. It's kind of a misnomer uh, because we're just talking about one cannabinoid. Uh, but right. actually, when we're dealing with hemp or industrial hemp is what it's called. And by definition, industrial hemp is 0.3% THC or less. Uh, that it means it can be grown for fiber, all these other things. It's not uh, a mind altering substance. Um, marijuana or a medical cannabis uh, typically is defined as greater than 0.3%. And that's what other folks uh, out west and other states have access to. Um, so we, we do, when we say CBD, it's kind of a misnomer. We should be talking about all the cannabinoids, and uh, that's why I like to refer to them as cannabinoids and talk about cannabinoid medicine. Um, and so my experience is really with just that 99% of the spectrum of cannabinoids, but n really not having a lot of exposure to THC. Don't know much about it uh, other than what I read. I don't have a lot of clinical experience. And so, uh, you know, I don't come at this as a, a somebody from the academic environment. I come from, from a purely clinical environment. You know, what are my patients' clinical results? How are, their, how are they functioning? How are they uh, dealing with their medications when we, in relationship to cannabinoid medicine? Uh, and so trying to learn the academic stuff and match it to what we are seeing clinically uh, is a challenge. Not enough days and uh, not enough hours in the day. What are cannabinoid receptors compared to opioid receptors? Yeah, so there's an endocannabinoid system. Uh, and so first and foremost, and this endocannabinoid system that we have, uh, all animals and mammals have it. Uh, and it's just recently been discovered in the 1990s. Uh, and it, then there's identifiable uh, receptors, a CB1, CB2 receptors. They're actually finding their other new receptors. But for the most part, we talk about CB1 and CB2 receptors. Uh, CB1 receptors are typically found in the central nervous system, but they're also in the periphery. CB2 receptors tend to be more in the periphery, in the liver, in the spleen, uh, reproductive organs, uh, more in the immune system. Uh, but there are some uh, CB2 receptors in the central nervous system. Uh, and we've identified uh, ananamide and 2-AG. These are uh, endocannabinoids. So you have phytocannabinoids, plant-based cannabinoids that come from a cannabis plant, but we also have endocannabinoids that are made inside of our body. Ananamide and being two and two AG are just uh, two examples. Uh, if you've heard of the runner's high before, uh, that's actually ananamide being released in the brain uh, to kind of give you that extra boost of uh, work through that pain, go that extra mile. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, uh, opioids, uh, a completely different receptor group, uh, right. and kappa receptors, uh, so, and have nothing to do with the endocannabinoid system. So getting back to this endocannabinoid system, it's really, I like to think of it as a spider web. Uh, it's a web uh, that connects the endocrine system to the immune system, to the nervous system, to the cardiovascular system. It's the spider web that keeps our bodies in balance or homeostasis. So it's telling one area of the body, what's going on in another area of the body, so they can all work together in harmony. So it's kind of the glue that's keeping everything working together, but it's more than the glue. It's actually the communication network uh, that's kind of modulating 
things, whether those are endocrine, blood sugars coming down or blood sugars going up. It's the endocannabinoid system that's responsible for that. And I think as we learn that as a physician uh, and we start to decompartmentalize that this is just an endocrine issue or this is just a cardiovascular issue, and we start to understand that these things are all working together, uh, I think we'll come up with much more clever uh, treatment uh, techniques uh, to use for our patients and medications moving forward. Well, what I like about your work is that you state you're not an academic, but I'm going to disagree with you on that. There, you know, we have this roundtable where we pull in neuroscience, the brain imaging people, the cytokine people, et cetera, into one room. It's become extremely clear that people get into their silos of research, but it doesn't come into clinical practice. And just having conversations between the different disciplines has been remarkable about what some people don't know about other people. So I find it fascinating now that I'm learning much more about inflammation and cytokines and that type of stuff that opioids are inflammatory mm. and they're a stress reaction drug. And so when cannabinoids first started came into public perception two or three years ago, I lost some apprehension about it, kind of marijuana and whatever. And so I had the same sort of mental block against it as everybody else. Now that I'm learning more about it, that it's a much more logical choice to even consider as a drug than opioids ever were. And so I'm just curious, I don't know what happened. I mean, cannabinoids, you know, all these, just in general, the reason why drugs work is they have receptors in the body that they work on. And the cannabinoid system is a completely different system than the, it's a anti-inflammatory medication, correct, Jim? Correct. So I was gonna ask, the next question I wanted to ask you, and we'll go into more depth in this, is that my perception, it works on sleep, anxiety, and inflammation. And I'm sure there's much more than that, but those are, are, there, are there other basic categories that I'm missing there? Um, those are primarily what we see as far as clinically, you know, sleep, anxiety, uh, and um, hope, neuro, uh, kind of that neuroplasticity that there is hope. Um, it, very common. Um, uh, you know, so you said, you, you said hope? Hope. Right. right. You know, what is hope? You know, how do you measure hope? Uh, when okay. patients start coming back and saying they're hopeful, uh, that's very powerful, especially for our patients in chronic pain whose lives right. are hopeless and they just right. never see the end of the tunnels. To all of a sudden uh, be given hope uh, has been very powerful. Uh, and that's been where we've been focusing a lot of our attention in the pain clinic is to help people start to think themselves out of pain. Right. Well, I mean, there's no question this research is now becoming more apparent in the last five years that hope and optimism are actually healing modalities. And what we're now learning, it changes the body's chemistry from this threat profile to a safety profile. And when you're under any kind of threat, while well, you have an inflammatory response that actually occupies your entire body. So when you think about giving somebody cannabinoids that's been in chronic pain for years and they're on opioids and all sorts of other medications, that how do you, what are you trying to accomplish with cannabinoids? Are you just saying, let's start, let's titrate it and start a low dose and go up and see what's affected? Are you saying, let's get you better sleep? Are you using the cannabinoids as a sleep drug or are you using cannabinoids with another sleep drug? Let's just take sleep for example. So when you're thinking about using cannabinoid, it's just a general substance to be combined with other modalities for specific problems. In other words, to use cannabinoids, another anti-anxiety drug, to use cannabinoids and another sleep drug? I mean, how do you sort of think about using the cannabinoids? Wow, there's a lot of questions there, and I, I think <laughs> I have partial answers to all of them. Okay. Um, but uh, you, when 
first of all, um, we think or, or we start to feel that everyone needs to be taking phytocannabinoids. Uh, it should be a daily vitamin, a nutritional supplement. It should really? be a water supply. Okay. Um, Ethan Russo uh, put out a paper describing what's called endocannabinoid deficiency syndrome. Uh, and I think most Americans suffer from that. We eat too much from the inside of the grocery store, not enough uh, in the produce and meat aisles. And so uh, we're not getting those nutrients we need and those micronutrients uh, to have a healthy endocannabinoid system. So we're always kind of running on low. And when we're running on low, we have a propensity to not be in balance or that homeostasis. And so we're pro-inflammatory. Uh, so kind of eating that inflammatory diet, uh, your endocannabinoid system being low, your whole system is pro-inflammatory. Um, so first we think of, let's fill the tank. So if somebody's thinking about using phytocannabinoids to modulate their endocannabinoid system, my first thought is let's fill the tank. Let's get you on a supplement just to get your endocannabinoid system up to speed, up to functioning adequately. Then we can talk about how do we modulate that system to get a desired effect. If sleep is the end goal or pain reduction or re relief of anxiety, what is our end goal? And then we can start talking about other terpenes and changing formulations at that point to more direct it. So first it's kind of just get people on it uh, to fill that tank. And then it's having that conversation uh, with the individual about what's their primary concern. If it's sleep, then we choose formulations that we have uh, that are primarily for nighttime, uh, that folks will, that are more sedating rather than uplifting. Uh, and we'll start them taking that at night. Uh, in relationship to other medications, that's a very important question. And that's where we have to spend quite a bit of time as medical professionals understanding drug-drug interactions, uh, when to take a supplement, uh, you know, in relationship to a prescription medication. Uh, and we think about that all the time. And so with pain medication, for example, uh, we recommend them, them taking their CBD at the same time they take their pain medication okay. um, for two reasons. Uh, the first reason uh, is it prevents what's tolerance. So tolerance is uh, something uh, that happens as you take pain medicine, uh, your receptors reset and you need more and more and more of it. We found if they take it at the same time, they take their narcotic, they don't develop tolerance. So our patients won't come back to us and saying, hey, this 10 milligrams of oxycodone isn't working for me anymore. I need 15 or I need 20. They stop saying that. Uh, and so tolerance is kind of made stable. It also, it, when they take it at the same time as their pain medication, they perceive their pain medication is twice as strong as it was before. So if they were right. on 10 milligrams of oxycodone and they take CBD at the same time, they'll feel like it's 15 or 20 milligrams. So they'll think I'm getting better pain relief. Well, that allows us ne next time to have a conversation. Great. It's feeling stronger. You've got better pain relief. Let's lower your dose to get you back to where you were at 10. So it begins the conversation that we can start to try to pull them from their pain medication. You shouldn't look at CBD as this magic, wonderful thing that someone starts taking and they're completely off their narcotics uh, the next day or it's replacing medications that quickly. We typically see this over a long period of time. There's a lot of physical, psychological issues people have uh, with their medications that you really got to take it slow. And especially with benzodiazepines, you really want to gradually taper folks off these medications as they're replacing it and becoming healthier. You know, we're, you're really trying to make the body a healthier place. Uh, and as you make the body healthier, uh, you can have less dependence on these medications.
Wow. Now you just created about 20 questions in me. So I, 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 <clears throat> I go back to the one about this taking like a vitamin. So you said that a couple of years ago and I go, okay. I mean, I, again, I had, I've just raised an environment where my initial reaction to cannabinoids has been sort of negative. And so it's changed dramatically. I'm very excited about the potential of it now, but you're saying that I could either take CBD or eat my spinach. They both have phytocannabinoids in them. Uh, well, the CBD will have a lot more cannabinoids than the spinach will, but the spinach will have used to when it was all grown in good soil. Right now, the problem with our produce is it looks the prettiest it ever has in history, right. but it's missing a lot of micronutrients. Okay. Uh, it just doesn't have the same micronutrients our great-grandfathers had, uh, and our animals aren't roaming and eating off the land uh, like they did before. And the cannabis used to grow everywhere like a weed, not the type that you uh, end up smoking or... You, you, the cannabis we think of it, but a different type of cannabis is just everywhere. And so it was in the food supply. It was, it was being, the pollen of it was everywhere. So now we've kind of, because we've taken food processes and really standardized them and made them unnatural, we're not getting access to uh, these micronutrients like we used to. That, that's pretty interesting. It's like zinc, magnesium, a lot of these other basic elements are really critical for inflammation, you know, as far as modulating inflammation. The other question I have, you made another comment about you know, there's a hundred different types of cannabinoids. You say that you use some types for sleep, some for anxiety, et cetera. Are you, I know you're doing lots of research as far as dosing and the types of cannabinoids you're giving. So you're saying you have a formulation that's better for sleep than say for other things? And, and that's where one of the problems comes in <clears throat> is saying that there's a formulation for sleep or a formulation for pain. If we say that, we're kind of violating FDA principles that this is not a drug. A drug okay. can say this drug is for an antihypertensive or this drug is for pain. When you start to say you've got a CBD formulation for pain, in my mind, you're kind of crossing over because cannabinoids uh, are a wannabe medicine. They're not a medicine yet. They're not a drug yet but we're learning about them and they have the potential to be a drug in the same way that we think about drugs as physicians uh, in directing care. So I, I, we, we don't right now have a pain formulation. We're talking about doing it. Uh, the problem with it is even if I came up with what is a pain formulation, it really only a pain formulation for 70% of individuals because everybody's um, epigenetics and their endocannabinoid system is different. It, everybody needs a different formulation really to deal with sleep and our different right. formulation to deal with pain. So we have uh, machine learning, uh, which will ask folks uh, 14 different questions. We will then, it goes through our machine learning program and we make recommendations, two, three, or four different trial bottles to try. Because I can't tell you is formula two, seven, 14, or 20 uh, your sleep formula. You've actually got to try it, use it for yourself, and then you go, wow, after trying these four different formulas, formula 17 worked great. Great. Now you can write on Formula 17 bottle. That's my personal sleep formulation. Right, right. What we're learning is in cannabinoid uh, medicine, it's going to be very personalized. So at the end of the day, to wait, make this into more of a medicine, it's, we're going to have to get genetic information from an individual, epigenetic information, laboratory information, and then come up with a personal cannabinoid profile and terpene profile to then modulate the endocannabinoid system in a particular way for that individual to get the desired outcome. And so that's really the end goal. And what we are trying to do in our organization is to start taking those steps, 
towards that science discovery as we start to narrow down um, those factors in order to get to that personal cannabinoid medicine. Now, I'm actually questions that surprise you from coming from me particularly, but I'm not seeing a huge downside to cannabinoids at this point. I mean, they're less addicted than opioids. There's less side effects. There's less danger. There's no respiratory depression. There's no tolerance. And I'm not seeing a huge downside to cannabinoids. And if you're not using the THC, they're not addicting either. So is there a downside? There's got to be some downside. Yeah, David, anytime we consume any substance, there's a downside. And as a physician, uh, an anesthesiologist, you know, I'm, I'm always thinking about pharmacokinetics, pharmacodynamics. Uh, and so the first thing I looked at is, okay, cannabinoids, how are they metabolized in the body? Well, they're metabolized by the cytochrome P450 system. And 60% Wait, which of Which is the liver, which is the liver, by the way, correct? Is the liver, that's correct. Okay. Um, and so, you know, that system's responsible for metabolizing 60% of the medications that we prescribe to patients. So if you have CBD and it's competing for that enzymatic pathway that other drugs are looking to be metabolized and excreted, that's going to disrupt this pharmacokinetics. Now, if you're taking lisinopril and it... Uh, and it's, there's this competition for this enzyme, the lisinopril could be elevated now in your bloodstream compared to normal. Therefore, your blood pressure does drop and does I look see. better. So, so is, it the, is it the cannabinoids that are actually causing people's blood pressure to get better? We think so. But I think also a component is, is it's also changing the pharmacokinetics of these medications that people are taking too. So I tell people when I'm giving lectures, that even though CBD does not seem to have a lethal dose that we've been able to identify, that it seems very safe, non-addictive, that some people are gonna die from taking this. And, but it's not because the CBD itself killed them, it's because it changed their system and they were fragile enough that changing certain medications caused them to go into fluid overload or drop their blood pressure and they fall and hit their head and die. But it could just, if, that's why for us, those kind of drug-drug interactions. And every time we recommend somebody start CBD, we say, please go back to your primary care and any other physician that's prescribing you medications, let them know you're taking cannabinoids, for them to monitor your blood pressures and your hemoglobin A1C or your bleeding times, so they can make much and change your current pharmaceutical medications if needed, if your body starts to improve and get healthier. I think as physicians, we always think our patients are getting unhealthier and unhealthier and it's eventually moves to death. But in this case, what we're finding is our patients are getting healthier and now the medical profession is having to look and go, well, hold on, I'm having, I'm getting to reduce medications. I'm moving somebody towards health. Um, and so it's just something folks need to be aware of. Well, I know you and I think the same way that you can't cure chronic pain. You literally move people to health, which is a multi-pronged effort. And, and I know you and I have used the DOC project, a multi-pronged approach, and you're in some wonderful successes in general, which we're going to talk about in a second. So we're out of time right now. We're just getting warmed up. So um, this is wonderful. I Really some nice questions to answer for, for me today. And I just have watched my particular um, apprehensions about cannabis really drop down almost to zero over the last year. And again, it's funny how you get these thoughts in your head, well, okay, it's cannabinoids, but my goodness, I mean, the opioids are just such a disaster. And this looks like such a huge potential. Mm -hmm. And I think you've all, you've cautioned all of us is that, you know, we were excited about opioids at 1.2. I think this is a different ballgame. Um, we, this is a different ballgame. So we're all going to be careful. And I'm really applaud your efforts to be diligent in researching the dosing, 
you typeset work here and there. There's lots of work to do. And that's the, that's your issue with cannabinoids is the dosing, how you give it, what you use for, et cetera. And what I'm really impressed with your work is you're actually ask, asking those questions and really working hard on truly answering them. So it's wonderful. So, but um, any final, final thoughts on cannabinoids? Oh, gee, how much time do we have on this podcast? <laughs> I got, I, we have one more podcast. Well, I'll probably have your back, of course. I'm just having a th- ton of questions here today. But um, just, just a, just a two-sentence thought for the day. Then we'll be back next week. Um, two-sentence thought um, is that people have the power inside them to heal themselves and to think themselves out of pain. Uh, by using cannabinoids uh, to increase neuroplasticity, we find patients move. They tell us their pain is in the front of their head when they start, and then it slowly moves to the back of their head. Interesting. That pain used to encompass their whole life. That's all they ever thought about. But after being on cannabinoids, it kind of moves to the back of the head. And so they still have pain, but it's not what they focus on. So even that leads to a higher quality of life uh, and the potential for you know, living a more fulfilled and happy life if you're not having to focus on something that's negative, that's pulling you down, and you can pay attention to those things that are positive and bringing you up. No, that's wonderful. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. James Taylor, for being on the show today and sharing his insights into the body's natural endocannabinoid system and the healing powers of cannabinoids. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to return next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And until then, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.